Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Here's Nylander in the Oilers' own sharp angle. Shot, he scores! Here's Seaver, great circle, fires, he scores! Oh, he's leveled by Andrew Shaw with a thunderous check. Here's a loose bucket from the score! It's on! Shoot, he scores! The cat connects with a one-timer. It's time for another episode of Blackhawks Crazy. Presented by FanList. Camp kicks it to a stick in front, came over to Saad, put it to Kubalik, and shoots, he scores! His first Blackhawk goal, Dominic Kubalik. Bono there, fires, stopped in front, shot, rebound, scores! Chris Bowden and Scott King break down the latest storylines surrounding your favorite Chicago hockey team. Welcome back to the Windy City, Andrew Shaw! Now, here they are, Chris Bowden. And Scott King. Happy November, everyone. Well, that was a week for the Blackhawks. Welcome in to a new, fresh Blackhawks Crazy podcast presented by Fanless Chris Bowden, your pre and post game host on Blackhawks Radio, WGN Radio 720, and the Chelsea blogger, the NHL.com correspondent, Scott King. A quick hello from you, Scott. How did how, how, how trick or treating go? Good, you know, it, it's one for the books. People who want to move it, you know, because it, it snowed or, or move it to the weekend, you go trick or treating on October thirty first. You're expected to have candy at your house for children. On and how October long did 31st. that? How long did that trip around the neighborhood last? Probably that fifteen weather. minutes. You know, <laughs> with our little our little dinosaur and our our bell from Beauty and the Beast. It you was managed, it was fun. Good you, pictures. You managed to get the costume over the winter coats too, right? Yes. Oh, okay. My wife. That's a must for her, and it works. <laughs> Blackhawks Crazy Podcast is sponsored by FanList. FanList is the best platform for season ticket holders to sell their tickets. Are you a Blackhawks season ticket holder who sells multiple games? Get over to FanList. Dot com slash Blackhawks crazy. It's spelled fanlist, F-A-N-L-Y-S-T dot com. Fanlist partners with multiple ticket marketplaces and list tickets for sale across all marketplaces all at once. Sites like StubHub, VividSeat, SeatGeek, GameTime, and many more. And they do all the work. Multiple marketplaces will increase your ticket exposure, causing tickets to sell faster and for higher prices. Plus, Fanlist is free to use. Registration and listing tickets are free. When tickets sell, Fanlist charges the industry standard 15% of the final sale price. It's the same rate that all those major marketplaces charge. There are no hidden costs or added fees to use FanList. It's the best way for you as a season ticket holder to sell your tickets. Go to FanList.com slash BlackhawksCrazy to receive a $20 bonus on your first sale. F-A-N-L-Y-S-T dot com slash BlackhawksCrazy. So we mentioned that was quite a week for the Blackhawks since we uh, last did our podcast following The victory uh, a week ago Sunday at home against the L.A. Kings, and you think, okay, this is a starting point, and then they go to Nashville and give up 51 shots, and then they go to uh, out to uh, L.A., and you think, okay, here's an opportunity to get back on the wagon, and they give up a ton of shots as well before finally salvaging something against the Anaheim Ducks, and there was a lot of news in between as well. And uh, I suppose because of the lack of positive results, the real big news came in between when the Blackhawks, Scott, finally decided, okay, Kirby Doc's going to be up for the long haul here. And then they decide to bring up Adam Boquist. These wacky teenagers are a part of the uh, a part of the veteran mix now, and uh, so how long they morph, we know Doc is going to be here long term. But certainly through the first couple of games, from what we've seen of Adam Boquist, they're managing where he is, uh, how much he plays, and in what situations that he plays. But he's looked real good so far through his first two NHL games. Yeah, and even with uh, Nylander, too, these these kids are hanging out together. They're forming a little bond behind the scenes. Uh, uh, I read a little bit about this this road trip here. Nylander's the only one who can drink, at least in the state of Illinois. So yeah, yeah. So, that's, so just get that through your heads, everyone. There's no funny business. These kids are, are, are good kids. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you're seeing a good mix now. We were talking before the show. It, it kind of feels a little like the tide might be term, turning a little bit. But, but again, those two games uh, allowing uh, 51 shots and then 49 against LA, 100 shots in two games. That that really has been one of the glaring problems all year is the, sh- the shot suppression. And we get that high at totals. When you're around 50, it's not just guys aren't laying out to block shots. It means you don't have the puck enough. Yeah, and uh, this Ducks team that the Blackhawks played on Sunday – 
in terms of shots per game, they rank 30th in the league at 28. The Blackhawks allowed them 10 more than that. Right. In the previous three games, um, the Blackhawks, or I should say, the yeah, the previous three games, the Blackhawks allowed 139 shots on goal, 229 attempts. So this is a continuing narrative that they're going to have to manage, and you saw in the game against Anaheim, when they're finally able to jump out to a lead, it was like the entire the entire mood of the team changed uh, because leads have been so hard to come by because of all these puck management issues. They've been playing from behind so much this season that uh, you know it, it's been difficult to snap out of things. And you know, after a five game sequence there, up through the Vegas game that they ended up losing uh, in the shootout. We were seeing some incremental progress, but then in the five games since, it started turning back the other way. It was a real struggle managing the neutral zone, getting possession out of their own zone, where uh, all that all adds up. It's almost like a domino effect with what happens to this team, and they've been struggling enough to score goals, and it's even more difficult when they don't have the puck on their stick. That was the trademark of the real good Blackhawks teams the early part of this decade, too. Yeah, and they're going to keep... Fixing the shot suppression problem that'll that'll let's hope so that'll gradually improve. You think as as other things are getting better here, and, and they have to because you're not always going to have Robin Leonard being absolutely incredible uh, behind you, and, and Crawford after allowing those first two goals uh, against LA, battling back the way he did, just just incredible. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about more about that. You and the guys had some great stuff on the broadcast about what was going on. With Crawford, but a big positive for me these last couple of games, Chris, is you're getting a mix of of not only Doc and and Boquist uh, contributing, but you're getting that finally with the, your top guys and the veterans and Kane and Taves, two guys who had great uh, last two games. So you're getting a good mix, and credit to Carlton, who you notice these young players a lot. So you kind of, if you're just watching and not looking at the minutes, you figure they're playing a lot. But he's also kind of keeping them away from top matchups sometimes, maybe to protect them, to protect their confidence. So I do think. Jeremy Carlton and the staff's been doing a good job with these younger players. You do want to dive into that a little bit more, but let's go back. Before we hear from Adam Boquist, let's go back and talk about that Saturday game where Corey Crawford, after he got dinged in the face mask on that shot by Curtis McDermott, real flush. After that, he seemed way out of sorts on those two goals that that uh, L.A. managed to score in the first uh, uh, four and a half minutes or so, I believe, before... The spotter, Wes McCauley, and his crew decided to go over and say, hey, check this guy out based on his concussion history. Corey gave the palms up wondering what's going right. on. But in all fairness, it was the right thing to do. And funny how when he came back out after Leonard got in there and made five big saves in five minutes, Crawford seemed like a different player after that. So whether it was just a couple of awkward moments that allowed those first two goals to come in, he certainly responded after he went down to the locker room. I don't know if smelling salts were required or not, but uh, he was a completely different goalie and was just as every bit as good as Leonard has Leonard has been through this entire season in keeping the Blackhawks in that game in L.A. I think as with like a lot of other people, when he first got pulled, I'm like, wow, Carlton's pulling him after two quick goals. You know, goalies give up some quick goals sometimes, even to start a game. You know, first he scratched Seabrook, and now, now Crawford's getting pulled. And then uh, when you kind of see some replays, he does take a puck right to the mask. And like you said, 100% the right call because of his history with concussions and and you break down the goals and his positioning how he looked he, he didn't look like himself he didn't look like a quality uh goaltender because kind of just his um poise and positioning the way he was allowing those goals and even the way he kind of reacted after didn't, didn't seem like himself seemed like something might have been going on then for him to get checked out and come back in the game like nothing negative happened was uh was incredible and credit to him he really kept him in it yeah and and when that game turned midway <laughs> midway through the second period when Kane, Kubelik, Boquist, and Keith were on the ice for three minutes straight. The Blackhawks couldn't get possession or get the puck out of their zone. Once Corey came back in after the Blackhawks rallied to tie, he had a run of 30 consecutive saves he had to make yeah. before the Kings went back ahead. And, you know, that, that sequence, that three-minute sequence when those guys were stuck in their own end, I mean, uh, that is is the horror show that the Blackhawks have lived over the course of the last couple seasons. 
That took it to the nth degree, a completely different extent. It's like, just get your stick on the puck and try yeah. and clear the zone, those puck management issues. But good on Corey that he was able to, to come up big and save them and at least help them end up salvaging a point thanks to the captain delivering in the in the final minute of that game. In For LA. educational purposes, what, you're supposed to keep your shifts about 30 seconds a minute, sometimes Four, yeah, back 45. and forth. <laughs> you, you know? when, you, when you hear Troy and Steve Conroy talk about uh, those those hellish shifts when you just cannot get three. on the ice. It's like three and, shifts. And Boquist was ready to. All all those guys were obviously Gassed. ready to drop. So um, a little uh, adventure under fire in his NHL debut for Adam Boquist. Um, but uh, he lived to tell about it. He survived it, and then he ends up scoring the first goal for the Blackhawks uh, on those reconfigured power play units, including that interesting one where Jonathan Taves is out there with four. Four rookies between Nylander and Doc uh, and Boquist as well and Dominic Kubalik. So right after that first power play expired, it was Adam Boquist scoring his first NHL goal on an absolute laser. He's been on the ice for about 15 and a half minutes each of his first couple games paired with Duncan Keith. And uh, let's hear some of Adam Boquist as part of uh, the scoring equation in Sunday's 3-2 overtime victory over Anaheim. It's a dream, you know. You have always looked up to Score your first goal and play playing in NHLs and no, no, it happened. So it's, is that something you dream about going top shelf to in your for your first? One? <laughs> uh, no, I, I didn't see where it went in, but I just heard the uh, the post. So yeah, it was good to see it going. What, what does that do for for young guy like you and your confidence level? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I just got more nervous after I scored that goal, but yeah, of course it's. Uh, it's it's nice to get the first out of the way. Uh, everyone want to score the first goal, and uh, yeah, I'm just gonna keep playing now. How much better was it that it happened in a victory as you guys needed one? Uh, yeah, of course it's uh, it's huge first win as well out of the way. So I think we played pretty good tonight. Uh, it's, it's a couple downs we had, but I think uh, we played good overall today. How do you stay focused after that and sort of get out of your mind? Keep focusing on every shot. Uh, good question. Uh, I just, yeah, I don't think so much out there. Uh, you know, it's happened so quick and everything is, yeah, it's so much in my head right now. Uh, you know, I got called up for four days ago, so I'm just going to, yeah, go with the flow and, uh, yeah. Which one was bigger, first AHL goal or first NHL goal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think my... Then shall we go? Yeah. How was your confidence right now? Do you feel pretty good? Uh, yeah, I felt pretty good these two games. You know, the Duncan have helped me a lot out there. Uh, such a good teammate and guy uh, at the bench. Uh, yeah, of course I'm nervous and he's coming and laugh at me and yeah, it's it's just a hockey game you say so. So it's it's nice to have him around and. Yeah, the rest of the team as well. So, well, you heard that wacky Chris Cook with the uh, nutty, <laughs> nutty question. My old Columbia College uh, classmate, class of eighteen, uh, <clears throat> something like that. Uh, with the w- what was more exciting, the first AHL goal or the first NHL goal? But you guys were classmates. He did. Yeah, we were classmates over that. at Columbia. I don't yeah, think I great that. WCRX. Uh, Columbia College Radio. Should write an athletic story about to, that. Not to digress, but uh, Bolquist. Uh, you know, he he did score his first AHL goal the night before he was called up. That's crazy. And, and to be quite honest, uh, and and he said it previously when he was called up, he was a bit surprised he was called up this early because he had missed a couple of games with an injury. He really hadn't played well. Rockford's power play was absolutely horrible <laughs> the first few games of the season. But nevertheless, I think that shows some of the urgency that the Blackhawks had in trying to get something going offensively because Eric Gustafson hasn't been doing it so far this year. The power play was in that huge funk, an 0-for-21 stretch before they finally snapped it. So looking for some answers, you know, trying this, that, and everything, getting Boquist out there, you saw what he was capable of the last couple of preseasons in generating things from the blue line, not only in power play but on five on five. But uh, it was time to roll the dice, and... You know, uh, so far through the first two games, yes, small sample size. Yes, there are going to be growing pains. Same thing with, with Kirby Doc. You heard Jeremy talk the other day about he may not necessarily play in every game. You're going to have to manage his time and his length of shifts. And uh, who knows, maybe he'll be sent to the World Junior Championships in late December and early January like Henry Yokiaryu was. But um, this infusion of youth, and you mentioned Alex Nylander as well, 
We've seen him the last couple games on a line with Jonathan Taves. We saw some of that in the preseason. And Brandon Saad, who Jonathan Taves is very familiar with, uh, playing with him a lot over the course of the last couple years and prior to that in his first stint with the Blackhawks. And you're looking for ways to get these stars who have been so slow to begin the season, get them revved up. And I think we started to see signs of that from the captain even though we took those two back-to-back horrible penalties Sunday against Anaheim. <laughs> yeah, Troy had some great stuff on that. Like, you cannot do that if you're the captain. And he was, and he was right. It's 119 talking to another. Exactly. And and uh, guys who play very well defensively or, or did in Troy's case. And he's right. If you're, you, know, you take one penalty and then you're, you're slashing at a guy's hands, they're going to call that. They call that now, that nowadays. That, that's going to get called. And, and credit to Taves for, you know, Battling back, really, after uh, going to the box twice, <laughs> very close together there, and uh, having a great game and, and kind of keeping himself trending the right way. There probably was a sense of determination when he took that opening face-off in overtime as yeah. the Blackhawks uh, won that face-off and did not give up possession, and he sets up Patrick Kane for the winner. But yeah, you need to find a way to get these guys juiced up because... We're a month into the season when Alex DeBrinkett is sitting there at three goals, Patrick Kane at three, Jonathan Taves at just one after all this time. These are the guys you're relying on, and you know uh, maybe these different power play combinations, the different line combinations, which we'll I think we'll get to a little bit during our slap shots questions as well. But uh, you need some juice out of these guys, and the other part of this interesting week is is you know in trying to find some answers. This all started a week ago when Brent Seabrook was the healthy scratch against L.A. He kept it another game against Nashville. I don't know who would have helped in that game against Nashville, to be quite honest. But now Seabrook is back in the lineup. We're seeing some different defensive pairings, too. So this is is all a puzzle that Jeremy and the coaching staff are trying to piece together because it's been such a difficult start. Seems like it's starting to get pieced together, though. You're starting to see guys. Well, we say that after jump every in, win. contribute. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a it's a couple games now. It's still you know we're starting to get to a bigger sample size where you need to see Kane Taves and Debrink and those guys uh, contributing and playing well because it's not just a few games anymore. Those so, guys really had to turn around now. So let's hear from the head coach after that victory on Sunday over Anaheim, and he touches on a number of subjects, not only particular to the le- the last couple games here of this road trip, but in general about Boquist's impact through his two games, uh, the shot that he has, Taves' weekend, uh, having Alex uh, Alex Nylander playing with Taves and how Nylander has come along and trying to mesh his way in as, as part of this mix. Uh, the improved penalty kill, which uh, has, has taken, thankfully, a step up. Robin Leonard's impact on that, but he begins his comments after the win over the Ducks by just talking about the relief of getting a win and how long it felt, even though it had only been a week. It almost seemed like it was a month. Here's Jeremy Colleton Sunday night. We've had a lot of uh, a lot of things go against us. It seems like, uh, particularly that home stretch where I thought we played pretty well. Uh, you know, we just could not seem to uh, you know put it together as far as results go. And ultimately, those points are they, they're what allow you to kind of breathe easy and, and uh, gain a little confidence in your game. So, um, you know, we can play better. We're not. Uh, it's not like we think we were outstanding tonight, but uh, you know we got got some points in the bank and hopefully we can build on that and play a little easier and uh, have a good effort on Tuesday. It's got to feel good for Adam Bunkers to get his first goal. Yeah, he's uh, he's been really good and uh, obviously he does bring that dimension to the power play. He can finish. Uh, he's a great release. Uh, his movement is fantastic back there. I mean, you know, we could have scored in overtime too last night. So uh, clearly, he's, he's having an impact on the game. But I think defensively, he's been quite good. We feel pretty comfortable with him out there, and uh, obviously, we're trying to protect him when we can. But uh, he's he's made a really good impression so far. What makes his shot so unique? Uh, he he's got. It seems like he can release it uh, at any point. It's it's a, it's a quick one, but he can also hesitate and change the angle. And uh, he doesn't need to be a one timer for him. You know, he has that in his uh, arsenal, but he can he can just kind of zing it in there. And uh, I think it's difficult for goaltenders. After taking the two penalties in the third, did, did Taze feel a little bit more determined than usually? It seemed like he was really you know score quick there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he he wanted to to make a difference in the game. That's you know the type of player that he is. I think he had an excellent weekend. I think both games he was he was very very noticeable um, on the puck, hunting the puck, making a lot of plays out there. Um, I think those those two games are the, I think the best he's played. 
Are there moments when Lennon makes a save where even you from the bench are just like amazed that he made that? And yeah, he's good. He, he's he's a big body, and he for such a big body, he moves really well. So he can uh, he definitely can make those spectacular ones, and uh, just gives our guys confidence. He was big tonight. Robin had a really good uh, explanation of why the penalty kill was better with him with him in there. Is he plays differently than other goalies? You said as far as his positioning, how big is he on the penalty kill as far as turning that thing around? Yeah, well, he's been good. He's he's had a good start. Obviously, uh, seems like every start's been quality for him. I think the penalty kill's been been getting better and better. We I could, mentioned it earlier. Um, but I think we had a pretty good start on the kill. The pucks are just going in the net. So um, nice to see our guys. Uh, they're gaining confidence. I think they when they go over the boards to kill the penalty, they feel they feel they can do the job. And they're not. You know, of course, we don't want to take penalties. But as a killer. When you you feel confident, you, you're almost excited about the chance. You know that's your time to help the team win, and uh, obviously for him, you know that's he's a big part of that. But uh, you know, tough to give up the one tonight after I thought we were excellent uh, for you know the first four or whatever it may be. But uh, I think that's been a positive for us. Taylor's line has been noticeably different the last couple of games, at least possession wise. What what differences? Nylander and Sadin. Yeah, I think uh, Sadin and Nylander have been two of our strongest players. I think all year. So um, they. They're just kind of picking up where they left off and uh, being really, really strong on the puck. Uh, I think, you know, Saad, you know, he's kind of has that uh, reputation you know, throughout his career that he's been that guy to be able to carry the puck and be heavy on it. And uh, I think I said before, I think his puck decisions have been fantastic this year. Really does a good job of, of gaining lines and, and uh, he's still dangerous, but he does it safely. And I think Nylander for... Uh, you know, it's, it is his, basically his first year. I think he's shown a lot of heaviness on the puck, very heavy stick. Uh, he still, you know, makes young player mistakes at times, but uh, he's uh, he's shown he, he can be someone we can count on. When you're rolling overtimes, I mean, there's three future Hall of Famers at the Sunday. You'd be pretty confident in that. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think all of them were good in the game, so you feel pretty good that they're going to find a way to get it done, and that's what they did. Very symmetry in seeing the young kids course versus all those guys. Yeah, well, I think that's where we're at as a team. We got some young players coming in who are extremely promising, and they're getting better and better. And they they're feeling confident that they can play in the league and contribute to the team. And that's how we're gonna, in the end, I think turn this uh, is is uh, the combination of the old guys still getting it done and the young guys taking more and more responsibility. That's kind of the league. And uh, you know, there's going to be growing pains here, and we've had that, no question. But uh, I think the young guys are playing pretty well. Now we are anxious to see if the Blackhawks can finally build off of that. Do they have a couple wins in a row this year? I'm not sure if they do, but they're going up against the San Jose Sharks team that is simply miserable so far. They can't find their way out. They have a five-game losing streak. I think they've lost something like seven of eight. They're in the middle. This will be game three of a real important six-game homestand for San Jose which ended up spoiling the Blackhawks' regular season home opener in that wild back-and-forth game. 5-4 was the final score, but now San Jose, they're down something like 4-10-1 right now, and it's going to be important with you know the positive feeling that the Blackhawks have to hopefully build off of that, take that into the Shark Tank on Tuesday night, and keep a team that's really down. Put uh, put your foot on their throat, so to speak. Not to get too uh, graphic or gory here at the time. Please, Halloween's post, over. Post please. Halloween with uh, anything like that. But the importance of of keeping a team down, taking advantage of that before you head home uh, for a pretty important game on Thursday night against a, a Vancouver team that surprised everybody else. There certainly has to be a, a level of urgency to control play from the from the outset Tuesday night in San Jose. Yeah, and here's a sense of how the season has gone for the Hawks. Here we are, first week in November. The only time they've won two straight games, going back to October 14th and 18th, 3-1 to one win at home versus Edmonton, mm. and then a 3-2 uh, to two win at home versus the Blue Jackets. Yeah, and that's when they, and that Columbus game wasn't their greatest, but that's when they put together that five-game sequence where you were starting to see improvement, gradual improvement from this team before the five games prior to Sunday night's game in Anaheim. It all seemed to be slipping away from that and really causing some great concern. Everything isn't fixed yet. We'll see how this team responds Tuesday night against the Sharks. Slapshot questions. Tweet your questions to the guys at Boda Tweets and at Scott King Media for your questions to be read on the podcast. And we have a huge, massive, overwhelming response this week to our hashtag slap shots. 
Questions from our audience. We uh, want to thank all of you for remaining involved and listening to the podcast and giving us uh, some more material here. So, uh, yeah, we had uh, multiple people here and a lot of the same type of questions. So uh, let's get around to this. Heather on Twitter has a couple of questions for us. What do you make of Carpenter and his role so far? And how long can this lines in the blender approach last? Well, uh, I think that's that's going to be the case with any, any NHL coach. We say, Joel, do it. And until you start finding consistent answers and something that works, um, I think we've liked what we've seen so far through the combinations this weekend. Now it's a matter of, of gaining some consistency and learning how to, you know, if, if these combinations can learn how to manage the puck and not get back into what was the second period on Sunday, or rather Saturday night in Los Angeles, um, I, I think, you know, perhaps we'll start to see some consistency. Sod Taves and Nylander deciding to put Debrinket, Strom, and Kane together if they can get the puck, hold on to the puck, and not let the opponent steal it away, because then you may be facing some defensive uh, issues there. Kubelink could camp back together with Kirby Doc. That's a huge, sizable line. And then with Ryan Carpenter, yes, he's taken a couple penalties this past weekend, but I continue to say he's been a solid addition. You saw him give Strom and Debrinket a little bit of jump a couple of Sundays ago against the Kings, and... Um, you know, he slipped a little bit in the face-off circle here over the past week. But by and large, uh, you know, he's a huge part of the penalty kill when he's not in the box himself. And uh, he he's one of those subtle signings that isn't a big splash, but something the Blackhawks need. And I think, you know, he's been a solid contributor. And uh, hopefully, you know, he provides a little bit more here moving forward, too. Yeah, definitely. Just being at some of those post-game pressers, and sometimes I'm with the opposing coach with my NHL.com duties, you always hear Carlton talk about Carpenter. And he's not always asked directly about him, but he always works in how solid he is, his two-way game. Like you said, the penalty kill, he'll do the dirty work in the corners, he can play a little physical. He's a guy who's done it all, and he's still kind of flying under the radar, maybe in the grand scheme of things, but he's a, he's a very dependable player. I think he's done a lot for the Hawks. Steady, providing some of the just those subtle things that are necessary in each team's game. You have to have a couple of players like that. And I, I think we've seen you know David's David Camp's game gradually improve. Um, but when it comes down to nuts and bolts, you're going to need your stars to deliver, which they haven't been doing consistently enough so far this season, and that thus the line blender, and uh, then moving these other kids into the mix and seeing how, how big of a factor uh, they have. And that kind of ties into some of our other questions. We have Brandon want to know who gets scratched when Connor Murphy returns to the lineup. Uh, Brad also asking, along with Jen B., uh, Jen B, do they keep Boquist up? And Brad, why uh, Boquist, uh, with Boquist seemingly fitting in well, what are the chances he stays uh, once Murphy is healthy? I think Connor has at least another four games to serve on his 10 game injury assignment. And I don't know if, you know, I don't know if Connor Murphy is necessarily a savior for this team, but we noticed once he was paired with Duncan Keith how much better this team played overall. And yeah, we have a small sample size so far with Adam Boquist, but so far in the small sample size, he has given the Blackhawks more than what Eric Gustafson, quite honestly, has been able to deliver throughout the course of this season. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if you know, we see Gilbert set back. He's been a healthy scratch the last couple of games. Slater Cuckoo has to scratch and claw for his playing time, and I don't know whether, you know, what he has done so far has uh, warranted a regular spot in the lineup. He's he's a good number seven guy to have. Has he proven he's more than that? I, I'm not so sure. But as long as Boquist keep de- keeps delivering like this and, and isn't exposed too much defensively, I see the kid, uh, you know, uh, staying up here. And, and you heard him talk in our, our previous clip about, you know, what an impact Duncan Duncan Keith has had on him too, being paired with him. Yeah, very small sample size, two games for Boquist, but he has showed that he improved his defensive game a lot. As a demon, that's where the Hawks want him to. That's where Carlton wanted him to. And the fact that he sniped on the power play like that when they've been struggling on power play all year so far, he, he kind of looks like uh, a bit of a savior, at least on the power play, <laughs> and uh, dependable with the fact that he's improved his defensive game. I see him and Murphy both playing in games at the yeah, same time. I do too. And then it becomes interesting because, you know, Murphy and Keith and DeHaan. Uh, if you throw Boquist into that mix, um, Olimata, who we'll hear from in a minute, uh, I, I think once he he and Seabrook were, were fairly solid the first couple of weeks of the season, and uh, now Mata's been paired with with uh, the likes of Cuckoo, 
uh, on Saturday in L.A., Gustafson Sunday in Anaheim. He had a little bit of a difficult weekend. I think he was a minus four combined, minus three on Saturday night. But, uh, you know, he is going to stay in the lineup, too. So some interesting decisions to make. But, you know, what? it's all about proven playing time. And I think some of these guys uh, have played themselves out of trustworthiness in terms of uh, earning that playing time as well. Brad also had another question. What do you think the what is the identity of this team now versus what we thought at the start of the season? I, th- I think that's an ongoing process, Scott. I, the, that that answer remains to be seen. I think the identity that that Jeremy wants to put his stamp on, and it's just un- it's just kind of unfortunate. I even asked Troy this question on the pregame Sunday before they finally got out of there with a victory, but with all these issues carrying over to this season from last season with with puck management, uh, sloppy decision making, and how it impacts this team defensively. Jeremy ideally wants to get a puck quickly, take it in transition, whether it's carrying the puck up yourself, that's something that Boquist can do real well, or passing it through the neutral zone, uh, making good decisions with the puck and providing more offensive uh, opportunities is, I think, the vision Jeremy wants. It hasn't happened so far, and because they've had issues doing that, it's reflected poorly on some of the numbers of the superstars uh, of this team so far, too. Yeah, and just more generally, you expect them to score a lot last year. So I think you want part of the identity to be a team that can score a lot, put up mm-hmm. a lot of goals with the offensive talent they have and with the moves they made that can play well uh, defensively. And you knew heading in, they have two great goalies. You, you maybe need a little more from Crawford, but he certainly showed that battling back last game. So I think uh, a team that can score, that can play well defensively, and it's got two great goalies behind them. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we talked about this all summer, ever since the end of last season. Can we necessarily expect the same type of season statistically from Taves and Kane and DeBrinket and Gustafson, who was a big factor last year? So far, we've had doubts been raised because of the performance the first month and first things first this is a process where they have to fix all those issues in their own end in the neutral zone before they can find answers to that and and i mentioned also last night in the post game show there were three instances only three instances this season three games this season prior to sunday where the blackhawks had two goal leads only three other times this season uh, what it's like to play with a two-goal lead is something totally opposite of having to chase the game all the time. I think those those three games were against Winnipeg that they ended up losing in overtime. Um, the other games, um, I think, I'm, I'm trying to recall what they were. The others ended up resulting in victories. But to be here 13, uh, 12 games in prior to Sunday and have only three other instances where you had a two-goal lead, it's a completely different game and a completely different Outlook and energy you have when you can when this team can play with a couple goals. In it their is. Back and we were talking before the show just that having that feeling of, of winning a game is, is seemed like it's been so few and far in between this season that that just you know is going to give so much more confidence heading into the next game and, and heading heading into your into the rest of the season and just with your game in general if you can string some wins together. So hope that can translate a little more as well. We mentioned Olimata a moment ago. This is, again, Hockey Fights Cancer Month. We uh, had the first part of our interview with Eddie Olchik, who is the NHL ambassador to Hockey Fights Cancer, and did such a, a great job, more or less, hosting the Blackhawks night two Sundays ago when they hosted the L.A. Kings. Uh, we'll hear the second part of that conversation with Eddie O in a minute. But uh, Blackhawk, like uh, like Brandon Davidson uh, last year, uh, like the vice president and general manager Stan Bowman, and any number of uh, other people in this Black. Blackhawks organization, like uh, all Blackhawks fans, have been affected by cancer. Ole Mata was a cancer patient um, five years ago, heading into his second year in the NHL, and he was one of the lucky ones where it was diagnosed early. He had a very brief recovery time, and things have been good. That's part of our conversation I had when I managed to uh, catch up with Ole. This was actually a couple of weeks ago, looking ahead to Hockey Fights Cancer Month. And we touched on a number of subjects with Ole, uh, including the fact that he was a two-time Stanley Cup winner already. By the way, he's going to be going into Pittsburgh on Saturday night to face his old team, the Penguins. But we talked about uh, things he didn't know about cup-winning teams until you actually experience that, some important things that are overlooked. Um, we also talked about his his battle with cancer. But uh, we began our conversation before we got to that, uh, got to that about uh, how he adapted to coming to Chicago, how he got the news, and we 
visited with him during the Blackhawks convention. He shared that story. We'll circle back to that. But also, for the most part this season, being paired with a three-time cup winner in Brent Seabrook. Here's Olimata. Well, he's been around for a long time, right? <laughs> you know, he knows hockey well. Like he's, he's a really good hockey man. I, I enjoy being around and playing with him. I'm just trying to get as much information out of him as I as I can just and he likes to talk obviously he's a funny guy but but he try, uh, likes to keep it light but when the game time comes he's a he get he, he gets serious about it and like it's, it's fun to see um, and we, we talked in the summer at the convention uh, during during our podcast about how you got the news about being about being traded to to uh, the Blackhawks. What was your reaction at the time? And and you're overseas at the time, right? It took a little while to to find out and kick in officially. Yeah, I did. Um, obviously, with the time difference, it's not easy. I was sleeping at the time and woke, woke up. <laughs> woke up actually. Actually, I looked at my phone and it was just blown up and. You know, you, you got this kind of a bad feeling in the stomach that something's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was a that was a pretty crazy day. A lot of lot of phone calls, um, a lot of a lot of hassle. But when days went by and more, I talked to talked to people. I, I realized how I, uh, how good of a place I was going to. Mm-hmm. And then talking about the other type of news that you got heading into your second year in the league, and you were just reporting to camp, getting those those physicals going, and and. You, know, you got the news about the thyroid cancer. I mean, did you have any inkling that anything like that could have potentially been? No, not really. Uh, actually, not at all. Um, I didn't think I felt any different. I really couldn't notice notice anything that that was going on. I was actually feeling really good going into the season. Season and um, just found a found a lump in my neck, and not, we thought really nothing nothing too much out of it. They just wanted to check that what it is and that everything's good and I end up getting a biopsy on it and end up being tumor and and uh it's just it's just shocking news but i think in my case i, I think it shows how how big a big part early detection plays and how good of doctors we have mm-hmm. we have here uh, and uh i was lucky yep. how scared were you at the time i'm sure everyone was saying we caught it early everything's going to be fine but until you get that out of your system i imagine there's a lot of apprehension and a lot of fear well, yeah. I mean, first time when you hear the word cancer, I, th- I think you always get scared. You, it's, it has a it has some something to it that you don't you don't wish to anybody. And when you hear that, you get a little scared. But like in my case, more time went by, more I learned about what type I had. Like I can, mine was really easy. I mean, I, I got I just got felt better and better about it. Obviously, it's not. It's not ideal, but like mine, mine was a simple uh, procedure, got in and out, uh, and uh, then, then just uh, playing with the medication, and that was uh, that was it. So I can't I can't compare what I, w- I went through with other people actually going through with more serious serious type of cancers. I imagine that there's a, there's a sense of feeling fortunate that it wasn't anything dragged out long six months, but is there still any follow up process that you have to go through? Yeah, you go you go through annual checks uh, just to make sure that nothing nothing comes up, and obviously check the blood work that thyroid's working fine. And um, if it isn't, I, I got a lot of a lot of people helping me here to, to fix and kind of play play around with the medication medication, and it's that, that's it. You reached uh, the, the pinnacle of, of this game at a really early age, winning those two back to back Stanley Cups in sixteen and seventeen, but. What did you learn through that entire journey, that process of winning two cups, about what teams need that you maybe didn't necessarily know prior to that? Well, obviously, when you look at the teams that, that win, they're not necessarily the teams that um, have, have been really good or winning the regular season. You just have to get caught in the right time and be uh, have your game game on that level at that playoff time. I think that's when you look at St. Louis, you you look at those cups you won in Pittsburgh. I think, and talking to Taser here, here too, we chat a lot about it. And he said he said that it felt the same and same in Chicago. I think that's that's a huge part. So it's more about the process during the regular season. You're trying to build your game, trying to get on the same page, and keep keep improving every day. That's that's so important. And, and uh, you just can't you just can't stop that stop that process that that's really important uh, finally you'll be heading back to pittsburgh here sometime soon i'm sure you're aware with where the schedule lies uh, how weird do you think that that's going to be going back there 
Yeah, <laughs> that's going to be a little weird for sure. Um, but uh, I think it's just going to be it's going to be fun at the same time to yeah. see to see him uh, playing there again and to see see old, old buddies. But um, yeah, I'm actually I'm actually really excited about that. That's Blackhawks defenseman Ole Mata uh, visiting with us a couple of weeks ago, and I'm sure he is looking forward to going into Pittsburgh and seeing how he can fare against his former mates. By the way, the Blackhawks have been very good in recent years against the Penguins. Some Sometimes you have these, these matchups where, for whatever reason, one team just has the upper hand over another. And despite Pittsburgh being great over the course of the past decade-plus like the Blackhawks have been, uh, the Blackhawks have had uh, good Good success against the Pittsburgh Penguins. They'll match up against them on uh, Saturday night uh, in Pittsburgh. Speaking of cancer, we mentioned that we began our conversation with Eddie Olchek uh, on our last Blackhawks Crazy podcast, where a lot of serious stuff was talked about in terms of uh, his recovery, some of the things that he faced, the importance and the impact he's feeling as the NHL's ambassador for Hockey Fights Cancer Month here in the month of November. But uh, we still have a little bit of the conversation to finish, and we have some lighter stuff to talk Mm -hmm. about as we finish things up, including his uh, recurring dream that became reality that he mentioned in his memoir, Scott asking him about that. We also were happy to discuss some good family fortunes that he has had since his recovery uh, about a year and a half ago. But we uh, continued this conversation when Scott asked him about uh, whether he always had in the back of his mind to become something he is today, and that is the best hockey analyst there is around. I I think I always respected the the job, and I was always a a, a sports talk radio listener. I think I I think I realized at a very young age there's an opportunity to be able to sell the game, sell yourself if if you're if you're out in front, whether you're winning or losing, or you're playing well or you're not. Um, but I, but I always I kind of always felt that at some point um, that my life would post hockey would would probably end up in in TV or radio or broadcasting. So uh, I just think that the way kind of saw how things were going and in in being there and and not trying to be an attention getter or anything like that is like look if somebody wants to talk to you and you're a good quote well you know it's not only going to help you but it's going to help the brand it's going to help the team and it's going to help the game um, so i just kind of always thought that i would you know eventually get into the get into the media racket unlike troy who was miserable as a player after losses forget about approaching troy he was a beauty um in the year or so since you've gotten the great news, there's also been great news with, with your family in this game, your brother, your your son. Um, a lot of things going on. Yeah, it's been real like it's been real positive. I mean, my oldest son, Eddie, got married a year ago uh, this past August, and uh, it was actually a year to the day that I got diagnosed with you know, stage 3 colon cancer. So he's happy. He's coaching up in Minnesota, assistant coach with Bemidji State. Go Beavers. Um, you know, My son Tommy just retired from playing hockey, and he's going to be a CPA. My daughter's happy in the advertising world in the auto industry. And then my son Nick left Colorado College. He's doing a little moonlighting at NBC Sports Chicago and uh, helping the uh, the guys in the post and the pregame with their uh, telestrators and their graphics. And uh, he wants to be a broadcaster like his dad, so he gets the opportunity to uh, to work uh, for the Indy Fuel this year as a color man on their internet and radio broadcast. So he's going to work with Andrew Smith down there. So uh, life is good. Uh, Diana Olchek. Um, as well, I should say there's two Diana Olcheks because my mom's a Diana and my wife's a Diana. Both Diana Olcheks are extremely happy, and when they're happy, then the real Ed Olchek, my father, and this Eddie Olchek are happy as well. Just to give people a taste of the yeah. book, yeah. you know, everyone can identify with probably having a recurring dream or, or nightmare. Yeah. And yours was about getting to your first game. Can yeah. you give us the cliff notes on yeah. the skip there story? Yeah, I mean, I. You know, I had this dream as a kid about being late for my very first NHL game, and I had this probably when I was 12 or 13 years old and wake up in a cold sweat and, you know, scared to death I'm going to be late. And once I got drafted by the Blackhawks, this dream seemed to happen over and over again. And then uh, during training camp, my rookie year in 84, Skip Thayer, our longtime medical trainer, I told him about this dream. I shared the dream with him that I was running late from. I woke up late for my pregame nap. There was traffic on the uh, the Dan Ryan because I was coming from Palos Heights. They wouldn't let me in the old parking lot at gate three and a half at the old stadium. Spider, the security guy there at the gate, wouldn't let me in because Eddie Olchek was already in the building. And by this time, now I'm nervous and I wake up. So I shared the story with Skip. 
goes, ah, dreams don't come true, kid. Don't worry about it. So I'm like, okay. So I come get ready for my first game against the Detroit Red Wings in the NHL first game. I'm coming down, driving down to Dan Ryan. Everything's great. A little bit of traffic, but I'm there lots of time. And then I hit a big traffic jam, and now I'm like starting to get a little worried, like I'm going to get be late. I pull into the old United, uh, the old Chicago Stadium, and then the guy puts his hand up, and like this, I'm, I'm waving to him, and he's got his hand up, like, no, stop, roll down your window, and I'm like, what? I've been coming here for the last six weeks for preseason and exhibition games. He goes, who are you? And I go, uh, I'm Eddie Olchek. He goes, no, you're not. And I go, yeah, I'm Eddie Olchek. He goes, no, nah, you can't park here. And I'm like, now I'm starting <laughs> to think about this dream I had. I'm like, what the hell is going on? So he finally, after about two minutes, he says, all right, go ahead. You got to go to the gate and they'll figure it out. I'm like, go to the gate. I'm like, <laughs> so I walk over to gate three and a half, and then there's Spider. I go, hey, Spider. He goes, who are you? I'm like, who am I? I said, it's Eddie Olchek. He goes, he's already here. Now I'm like, I'm like a psychic. I don't know if they had the Mega Millions or Powerball at that time, but I probably should have went over and played. So after about, I said, just call the locker room and whatever. So he goes over there, he calls down to the room or whatever, and I said, no, Eddie Olchek's already here. I'm like, so I had to pull out my ID, just like in a dream, and the whole nine yards. And finally, he says, "All right, go ahead." So I walk down the, and I'm flustered now. Like I'm sweating. I'm like I'm like Casper. I'm like I'm as white as a ghost. I walk downstairs, and as I walk into the old Chicago Stadium locker room, I walk by the training room, and I looked at Skip. I said, "Hey, Skip," and then he goes, "Hey, kid." And as I'm going, he goes, "Hey, kid," and I kind of walk past the door, and I back up, and he, I look over at him, and he goes, "Do you have any problem getting in tonight?" <laughs> and I said, "You bleeping." So as I've told anybody that, and I say it in the book, I said uh, anybody that knows Eddie Olchek, the quickest way to get on the wrong side of me is to disrespect the trainers. Because I love those guys. Those guys are the lifeline of a hockey player. But the one thing I learned in my rookie season is that just be careful what you share with the trainers because they might come back to bite you in the backside. And uh, that's one of those things you just can't make up. Real quick, you described your first goal. Did Troy get the secondary assist on it? Troy got the secondary assist. Yeah, he got it back to Femer. Femer shot the puck wide. And uh, it was a really important goal against the Red Wings. I think it was the seventh goal and a 7-3 win, I think, that <laughs> night. So they don't ask how. They just ask how many. And I was able to bury it in the back of the net. And uh, to be able to accomplish that in my hometown for my favorite team in my very first game was, uh, I could still see it. I, I, I see it, like, you know, when obviously when Kirby Dock scored the other night. Right. Um, you know, and then uh, somebody sent me a graphic about you know guys' ages of scoring goals and whatever. I just like, I could, I still see, I see the play develop. I, I just, I could see everything. Keith Brown grabbed the puck and Brownie gave it to me, and the fans were chanting my name. Uh, like, it just seems like it was yesterday, and I know it was a thousand years ago, but um, something I'm super proud of, and uh, to be able to play my first game with the Hawks and uh, actually score a goal in my first game. Again, always great catching up with the great Eddie Olchek, the stories he can tell, and uh, especially props to the training staff because uh, they work endlessly. Those are the guys, the equipment staff and the training staff, those are the lifeblood of NHL teams. Other guys get the spotlight, other guys get the blame. Those guys are are always there. So uh, kudos to Eddie for giving them a shout-out. And again, always uh, great. Visiting with, I'm sure, hearing from Eddie for for you guys from a listener standpoint. Okay, uh, there was something else you wanted to bring up uh, before we signed off here today. You tweeted something at me the other day. <laughs> I tweeted with, at you with a photo. You. With a photo, tell me. Well, look, it was a it was a really big deal to people who enjoy fast food that Popeyes was finally coming out with a chicken sandwich late in the summer. I think it was late August. So, like a lot of people, I wanted to try it. Drove uh, to countryside. Wait, Popeyes is a chicken place. They never had a, a never sandwich. Never had a chicken sandwich. Really? Yes. Okay. So, uh, drove out there when when the craze was going on. Pulled up to the drive-through, uh, ordered it, and a gentleman told me uh, back then, "While we're out, we're we're not going to have any till November." <laughs> <laughs> like late August, Scott. I think that's what it was. Scott, not September. Scott looks up to the sky and shakes his fist in anger. I was not. I was not a gentleman. It brought out the worst in me. I, I had made my little trip there. I was looking forward to having it while listening to the radio. Uh, and uh, I wasn't. I wasn't kind, and I regret that. And, and wait to the, to the guy at the, the window. Guy at the dry, I, I lost my cool. Okay. And uh, I don't think I, I said anything. Do we have countryside police? Uh, I might have. I might have had a tone. I might have had a tone. Um, no, no, no. Authorities were called, but finally, 
Uh, just in time for uh, my wife and I's seventh wedding anniversary, I made it to Popeyes. I did wow. a mobile order. If that's not an anniversary <laughs> present, I don't know what is. We we did go we did go to Gibson's the night before after the Baby Shark show in Rosemont. Uh, so we did that for our anniversary. And, and I also if that ain't living, I don't know what is. I wanted to make Popeyes a part of it too. So finally tried the sandwich. I got myself a uh, regular and a spicy. It was fantastic. It, all the running outs. Handling it like complete fools didn't matter. It it really lived up to the hype. It's bigger than uh, any of the chicken sandwiches. It had very fresh, two fresh big pickles, like the kind you get in the grocery store. Uh, a, a fantastic ranch sauce. I was I, I don't like things that are overhyped, and I was still very pleasantly surprised with the sandwich. Spicy too. Two, two sandwiches in one sitting. No, no. To be okay. fair, you know, you know, I can be a bit gluttonous, but uh, that was not the case. I saved some. You get your running in in between those two. Sandwiches. I saved some for my wife and my daughter. My wife nice a- acted like she was uh, above it, and then then she wanted a second bite later. My daughter loved it. Now tell me, tell me about the spicy though, because I, I hate perspiring while I eat, and I'm I'm a real vulnerable sweater. Uh, if you will. Yeah. So, um, uh, <laughs> is it that bad? Although, you know, you may have a higher tolerance for the, for the spicy. I'm not one of those guys that brags about eating spicy. Those guys, you know, throw that around. Uh, I like things that are spicy, not too spicy. And that's how their chicken was when you can just order like a couple pieces of chicken tenders or uh, a dinner. They just put a little spices on it to make it a little spicy. That's how the sandwich was. Not I, too spicy. I first, I first discovered my vulnerability to spicy foods at the old Ed DeBevix. They had something called an atomic oh, yeah. burger there. Uh, so I decided to try it. This was you know the first time I exposed <laughs> myself to something like that. And and uh, I'm not sure if uh, I was I was married in Alley then or we were just going out. But I think we were just going out, and she probably was not very impressed with the fact that I took a couple bites and 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 perspiration was just streaming down my down my face. So, so you're a I'm, not, I'm not really good. I'm not really good with that. Probably had to change clothes after that I had to trip. And I, I ran into the same problem when I was down in New Orleans covering some sporting event. I decided to go, you know, jambalaya, and uh, I needed a change of clothes after that, too. So, Oh, my God. You can't need the Under spices. Armour. Need the Under Armour to soak up the perspiration. <laughs> just bring a bunch of, what is it, milk is supposed to take the spicy taste, so you bring know. your own uh, gallon of milk just, to the restaurant? Just pour ice water over me or something <laughs> like that. All right, well, well, good to hear. I don't know if I'll try the spicy or not. but I think I'm going to go back now, to are, it. Are you, you're, not, you're not trying to push fan list out of our, our Blackhawks Crazy Podcast no, of sponsorship No, here. I enjoyed Popeye's, but they do not help us out. We do not have a partnership with Popeye's okay. yet. Okay. <laughs> Throw that out there. <laughs> Throw that out there. All right. Um, well, we hope this uh, wasn't uh, a tough sweat you for you listening to this edition of the Blackhawks <laughs> Crazy Podcast. We want to thank all of you for listening. Thanks as well to our producer, Curtis Koch, for pasting all of this together, as well as the dulcet tones of Ernie Scatton on our opens and closes and our introduction to hashtag Fans Slapshots. like them. They're going crazy They for do them. like it. They do like uh, Ernie's, Ernie's voice, uh, as I always have as well. And we always, like you, listening. Again, we uh, encourage you to subscribe to the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast on... Uh, what do we got? There, there are multiple options to do that. We also yeah. tweet out the links. And for those of you wondering, uh, the next one will come in another week. We have the Blackhawks in San Jose Tuesday. We have the Blackhawks returning home to face a real surprising and impressive young Vancouver team on Thursday for that trip to Pittsburgh. And then the Toronto Maple Leafs come to town. Will we see Kaner and Austin Matthews have their dueling <laughs> I can't hear you. Gestures. Man, that was a great game last year. Yeah, what, so what, it, was, what a it was a great like game, and, and Kane's just calling him out for being silly. Yeah, we'll we'll see if we get uh, that kind of roller coaster ride. Blackhawks, let's not have the, the roller coaster ride this week. Let's let's continue to to have a nice steady climb. Not, no ups and downs as uh, we have these four games, and we'll talk to you uh, after that as well. Again, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you next Monday. Thanks for listening to the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast. Tell a friend, subscribe, and join the conversation. And follow the guys on Twitter, at Bowden Tweets, and at Scott King Media. That was great!